Amen. Attached to the base of the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor is a plaque. And on that plaque is written a poem. And the poem is titled, The New Colossus. And it reads this, the, the following. Here, it's part of it, not the whole thing. But this is how that poem, The New Colossus, reads. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, here at our gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name is mother of exiles. She cries with silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the refuse of your teeming shore, send these to me. I love that title, I love that sentiment, Mother of Exiles. Well, today, uh, the title of our message from 1 Samuel chapter 22 is somewhat similar. Uh, It is titled, Lord of the Losers. We're going to see exactly what that means as we go on. As we've been studying the life of David here in the book of 1 Samuel, what we've seen is that uh, we've seen this principle over and over, and that is this, that men and women of God are not born they are made. Men and women of God are not born, they are made. A heart for God is not something that you just intrinsically have or something that you wake up with one day. It's something that needs to be cultivated. It needs to be developed in a person. That was certainly true of David. Uh, That's certainly his life story. And it is true for you as well. Here in 1 Samuel, as we study the life of David, what we have before us is the making of a man of God. That's what this story is. It's the story of a making of a man of God. And, and it's an interesting study because as we go through the life of David, we see this process of how God developed him into this person that he would become, this great man of God that he would become. God was working, God was forming and shaping him. It all began when David was just a young boy. As a young boy, he was given the task of leading the, or, you know, tending to his family's sheep. And so David, as a result, ended up spending a lot of time alone, a lot of time outside, a lot of time in the wilderness by himself. And it was during these times that David had to face things. He had to deal with things, things like fear and things like loneliness, things like danger. And he began in that time to develop this relationship with God. As he would gaze at the night sky and he would take in the majesty of creation day in and day out, David became a worshiper. He, became, he came to see the awe, uh, the awesomeness of God, and he became a worshiper. In his loneliness, David came to know the Lord as his constant companion, one who was always with him, one who he could always turn to. In his fears, David learned to trust the Lord as his protector, as one that he could cry out to. And David was developing, he was cultivating this relationship with God, and God was using the circumstances of David's life to make him into a man of God. Because men and women of God aren't born, they're made. At this time, the king of Israel was a man named Saul. And Saul, uh, we've seen throughout 1 Samuel, he started out as a good king. He started out actually as a godly man. But he became corrupt. And he became self-seeking. And Saul turned his back on God. And and as a result, uh, God told Saul, Saul, because you have rejected me, I have rejected you as king over my people Israel. And I am going to raise up another man to be king instead of you, a better man, a man after my own heart. And who did God choose but, but David, this shepherd boy who he's been shaping and working in his life. This boy who's in complete obscurity. He's, you know, 
unknown to anyone except for God himself, but God is making him into a mighty man of God. And so the situation here as we get into chapter 22 of 1 Samuel is this, that Saul, the king of Israel, is out to kill David. That's his goal because Saul knows that David is the man that God is raising up to replace him as king. But Saul doesn't care what God wants. Saul only cares about what Saul wants. And Saul doesn't want to give up being king. Saul likes being in power. And so Saul's goal is to remain in power at any cost. So Saul becomes determined to kill David so that he can hold on to his position of power and retain his position as king. So at this point in our story, David is on the run. Saul is coming after him, chasing after him with everything he can muster. Saul's coming after him with spies and with assassins and with the whole army of Israel. Saul is trying to hunt him down and kill him. And so we pick up the story in chapter 22 in verse 1 and we read this. That David departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. To the cave of Adullam. Think about this picture here. Here we have David, this man after God's own heart, this man who is chosen, who is anointed to be the next king of Israel, but instead of living in a palace as a king, he's living in a cave, as a fugitive, as an exile, all alone. Meanwhile, there's Saul, who has been rejected by God as king. He is an evil man. He's a murderous man. He rebels against God. But where's Saul? Saul's living in a palace, in the lap of luxury, being waited upon by servants, with an army at his disposal. And you can't help but look at that and say, how is that even fair? It's not. It's just simply not. It's not right. You know, the life of David, one of the unique things about the life of David in the Bible is that we have both this historical narrative, the story of his life here in 1 Samuel, but we also have psalms that David wrote during this time which give us insight into where he was at in his heart during all this stuff that was going on, what was going on with him emotionally and in his relationship with God. And, and we know uh, from the Psalms that when David came here to the cave of Adullam, he came here and he was in a desperate place. He was in a discouraged state when he came here to this cave of Adullam. If you're interested in checking it out, Psalms 57 and Psalm 142. These are the Psalms that David wrote during this period when he was in exile in the cave of Adullam. This was a dark time in David's life. It was a difficult time, as can be expected. These circumstances have shaken his faith. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe there have been times in your life, maybe even right now, where, where things have happened to you that have shaken your faith. They have caused you to have doubts as to whether or not God really loves you, whether or not God is even there for you at all. That's where David was at when he got to the cave of Adullam, when he arrived here. But what we read in those Psalms that David wrote during this period is that David, as he sits in this cold, wet, damp cave, dark place, all by himself, what does he do? But he begins just pouring out his heart to God. He begins pouring out his anguish of his soul. He begins pouring out his distress. He's not sugarcoating it. He's just laying it out there because God can handle that. He's laying it out there. He's pouring his heart out to God and saying, God, this is where I'm at right now. And as David did that, you know what happened? God met him there in that cave. God met him and encouraged his heart and gave David an assurance of his love and his faithfulness and his power. We read this in Psalm 142. Here's an example. David says, 
I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. Look at my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 57, we read this. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed me by. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. My heart will be steadfast, O God. My heart will be steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love reaches unto the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. As David was hiding in the cave, and he's just pouring it all out before the Lord, God meets him in this place, and God ministers to his heart, and David is strengthened in, this, in his spirit in the cave of Adullam. And this cave, rather than being a depressing place, to David, this becomes a glorious place. Do you see that? It, there's this arc that happens where he begins pouring out his heart and God shows up in this place that was just a few minutes ago just this depressing this is like the low point of his life this becomes a sanctuary this becomes a glorious place where God meets him and God ministers to him sure it was uncomfortable there it was a cave he's living he's sleeping in the dirt on rocks but you know what I'm sure at this point in his life, David wouldn't have traded that cave for any place in the world because that cave became a sanctuary. That cave became the place where David had the most intimate fellowship with God, maybe even in his whole life. And let me tell you this, sometimes it is in the most uncomfortable places that God will meet you in the most powerful ways. Do you know that? Sometimes God does his deepest work in the darkest places. But that's not all that, David, uh, that God did for David in the cave. Let's continue reading in verse 1. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now that might, at first that might not sound all that interesting or all that significant, but it is. Think back to David's relationship with his family. It hasn't been good. Do you remember that the prophet Samuel showed up and said, told his father Jesse, Jesse, bring all your kids, all your sons, we're going to have a feast. So Jesse says, yeah, I'll bring all my kids. And he brings all his kids, except for one, right? That's kind of like when dad comes home from work and says, kids, we're going out for ice cream. All of us. Well, well, by all of us, I mean all of us, except for you, Jimmy. You can just stay here and do the dishes, right? That kind of thing. David didn't have a great relationship with his family. He was overlooked. He was underappreciated by his father. We see when he shows up uh, to fight Goliath. Do you remember that? What his brother says to him? His brother is, seems to be the one who is the most against him. What are you thinking? What are you doing? You shouldn't be here. You little punk, basically, is what he's saying to him. And he, His brother didn't treat him well. He hasn't had a good relationship with his family. But here at the cave of Adullam, the first thing that God gives to David while he's in this cave, God gives him himself. 
And that's huge. The Lord met David there in the cave, but the second thing that God gave David in the cave of Adullam was his family. And what a blessing to have his family show up. It, it, it hasn't seemed like his family is for him. It seemed more like they're against him than for him. But now, when David is all alone, by himself, grieving in his spirit, God gives him his family. And they come in this time of distress, and they say, David, we're with you. Whatever's happened in the past, we're sorry, but David, we're here with you. If you're in exile, then we're in exile. If you're going to live in a cave, then we're going to live in a cave. David, we want you to know we're here, and we love you and support you. What an amazing blessing this is for David's life. What an incredible encouragement this must have been for him. But his family wasn't the only people that God gave him there in this cave. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and they were with him, about 400 men. Wow. David has been alone for some time now. He's been in, a, in desperate need of companionship. He's been all by himself. But God, you know, God was training David during this time. As we've been saying, God was making David into a man of God through these circumstances that he was in. And God allowed David to go through a time of being all alone. You know why? Because sometimes we need that. Sometimes God lets us go through times of being alone so that we will learn to turn to him and lean on him and trust in him because we have nothing else to lean on and trust in. And David learned that lesson. It was an important one, and David learned it. And now that he has learned that lesson, God answers his prayer. I believe it was probably a prayer of David. God, I'm alone. Send me some companions. And God answers this prayer and he brings people around David to support him and be his companions. And, and as word spreads that David is hiding out in the cave of Adullam, people start coming out to David. And they, they start saying, hey David, you know, uh, can I live with you here? Because this is better than what I got going on anywhere else. I mean, my life's a mess. Basically, he gets all these people who are just, their life is a mess. And they come out to David and say, David, can I live with you? Can I, can I hang out with you? I mean, look at these people who come out to David. They, they aren't exactly the cream of the crop, are they? Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter of soul. Basically, the unsuccessful, the depressed, and the, the lonely, right? The people who are upset. These are the people who came to David at the cave of Adullam. Talk about a rough crowd, right? These are the misfits. These are the outcasts. These are the nobodies of society in the world's eyes. These probably aren't the kind of people that David imagined that the Lord would bring him to strengthen him, right? David was probably praying during that time alone and saying, Lord, I really need some friends right now. I really need some people to come around me. Lord, would you send me some men like Jonathan? I love that guy. Jonathan, Lord, send me some men of God like Jonathan who share the same heart for the Lord that I do. People who can encourage me in the Lord. People who can go to battle and fight and stand toe-to-toe -to -toe if necessary. But who does God send David? Well, he doesn't exactly send him men like Jonathan. Instead, he sends him the depressed and the unsuccessful. Cool. And not just a few of them, 400 right? 400 outcasts. I mean, think about this picture. Here's David. He's the anointed king of Israel. Instead of living in a palace, he's living in a cave. And instead of leading the nation, he's leading this band of outcasts. In the world's eyes, 
David's just surrounded by a whole bunch of losers, right? He's king of the losers. Congratulations, David. Instead of being king of the nation, you get to be king of the losers. This great man, David, you know what? Before he could become king of Israel, he had to become king of the losers. And you know why? Because men of God, women of God are not born, they are made. And God is making David into a man after his own heart. God is making David into a king after his own heart. This is part of the process. Before David can lead the nation, he's got to learn what it means to be a leader after God's heart. And this is what it's all about. Here in the cave, there's no pomp, there's no prestige, there's no palace, there's no servants, no throne. And he's got all these people to lead, but they aren't great people. They aren't mighty men of God. These people, these are the people whose lives are a mess. They're distressed. They're depressed. They're in debt. They're broke. They're, they're bitter of soul. God is making David into a man after his own heart. And part of that is he's teaching him to associate with the lowly. And so God says to him, here they are, David. You asked for companionship? Here's some companionship. Maybe it isn't exactly what you imagined, David, but, but here they are. Now, the question is, David, what are you going to do with them? Here's 400 men, David. Yeah, they're losers. What are you going to do with them, David? Maybe you've felt like David felt at this time. Maybe you've asked for something, you've prayed for something, and you got it, kind of, right? Like you got it, sort of, right? And it just, you got something, but that something that you got isn't exactly what you imagined that it would be. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Maybe your marriage, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your family life, it's, it's something but it's not what you envisioned that it would be. It's not that what you hoped it would be. You've got something, but it's not what you hoped it would be at this point in your life. Here's the question. What are you going to do with it? Let me tell you what David did with, the, with these men that he was given, with these companions, with this situation which wasn't exactly ideal, which wasn't what he had hoped for or asked for. David took this group, these 400 losers, and he became their captain. And he spent time with them. And he led them. And here's what I want you to see. This is glorious. Check this out. He became their leader. And you know who these men end up becoming? Do you know who they become? They become known as David's mighty men of valor. These guys. The losers. These guys become the mighty men of valor. Isn't that incredible? We read about them in 2 Samuel, and we read about them in 1 Chronicles, and we read that these are the kind of men that they became under David's leadership. We read this, that they became mighty, experienced warriors, experts with shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. There in, in 1 Chronicles 12, we also read that some of these mighty men, they were filled with the Spirit of God and they became leaders in their own right. Isn't that glorious? They would become famous, these mighty men of David. These losers at this point, they will become mighty men of David and they will become famous for their courage, for their faithfulness. They will become famous for their skill. This is what I want you to see. That is who they became, but that is not who they started out as. That's not how they started. They didn't start out as mighty men. No way. The, these mighty men of valor, 
Here's how they started. They started out as losers. The misfits. They were men whose lives were just in shambles. They were a mess. They were desperate. They were depressed. They were unsuccessful. But David took these people and he shaped them into mighty men of God. Isn't that incredible? See, friends, men and women of God are not born. They are made. God takes people who just aren't that special. He loves to do that. He loves to take people who just aren't that special and make them into something great. Into men and women of God who he can use to change the world. And look at Jesus' disciples. Talk about a motley crew. One of my favorite studies is to go through each of these disciples and just pick them out and say, what kind of people were they when they were called by Jesus? He took these people who were just, uh, they were a bunch of fishermen, right? Which is considered a lowly trade in that society. There's fishermen. You got a tax collector who was maybe the most unpopular person in that society. And, And on top of everything, you've got this guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, he's maybe my favorite disciple, and I'll tell you why. Do you know what a zealot is? This was a political radical. These were political radicals. They'd basically be the equivalent of what they have in the Middle East now as, as terrorist groups, kind of like uh, domestic terrorists, right? They were super uh, right-wing. They did not like the, uh, the occupying forces of the Romans, and they were famous for uh, ambushing in plain clothes Roman officials and Roman people and, and murdering them. Right? So Jesus calls this guy who is just this political radical. He's way out there, right? And then think about the women who were around Jesus. Some of them were former prostitutes. This is hardly the cream of the crop that Jesus is calling to himself. These are the kind of people who would never, ever be able to get hired at a church today. You know that? But Jesus took these people, and you know what he did? He gave them a new identity, and he gave them a new future. And under Jesus' leadership, these men and women became heroes. They became saints. They became mighty men and women of God who changed the world. If he can do that with them, what about you? What about you? How about you? Are you distressed? Are you in debt? I'm sure that some of us are. Oh yeah. Are you, in de- are you discontent? Are you bitter of soul? I guarantee that God can make you into someone great. And he can use you in great ways. I guarantee it. If you will come to him and you will make him captain over you, he will make you into something great. He will do marvelous things in your life and through your life. And the question for you today is, will you come to the Lord like these men came to David with all your junk, with your mess? And will you ask him to be captain over you? Will you let him lead you? Will you let him teach you? If you will, he will make you into something great. You know that? He will. He will make you into a mighty man, a mighty woman of God, and he will do great things through you. Just as the Statue of Liberty stands at the entrance of New York Harbor saying, give me your tired, give me your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the refuse of your teeming shores, David now stands at the entrance to the cave of Adullam. Even if at first this wasn't, he wasn't completely excited to see all these misfits coming his way. Now he says, you know what? Come to me. 
Come to me, all you who are distressed, all you who are in debt, all you who are bitter of soul. If your life is a mess, then I've got the place for you. Come to me, and I will make you into men and women of God. I will make you into mighty men of valor. In the same way, Jesus, the son of David, he's he's descended from David. He has the blood of David coursing through his veins. Jesus, the son of David, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Let me ask you, are you in distress? Come to me, Jesus would say. Are you in debt? Come to me. Are you bitter of soul? Come to me. Come to me and let me be your captain. Let me be your leader. I will do glorious things in your life. I will take you. I will fashion you. I will make you into a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor. In fact, you know what? There's a real way in which these are almost prerequisites for coming to Jesus, right? These are like the prerequisites. Uh, you, being in distress, being in debt, being bitter of soul, these are prerequisites for coming to Jesus. And not in any way that is outward, that people can see outwardly. Maybe you have a successful life on the outside. Maybe your bank account is full. But in your soul, you know that something's not right. In your soul, you know that you have a debt before God. In your soul, there's a sense of discontentment, a healthy sense of discontentment. If you think that everything in your life is just fine without God, then you're not ever going to come to him and ask him to be captain over you. These men, these 400, they knew that something wasn't right in their life, that they needed a leader, that they needed to come to David, and they needed him to be captain over them. And David took them in, and their lives were changed as a result. They received a new life. They went from being losers to being mighty men of God. Let me tell you what, that is so much the gospel message, isn't it? That is so much the message of Jesus Christ, that if you will acknowledge the, the discontentment in your soul, and you will recognize that something's not right because you have a debt before God. And if you will come to the Lord and ask him to be your captain, then he will welcome you in and he will change your life. He will give you a new identity and a new future. Men and women of God are not born. They're made. That's the story of David's life. That's the story of these 400 men. They became men of God, but they weren't born that way. It was something that they had to become. It was something that was developed in them. It was cultivated in them over time. And that was certainly the case with other men of the Bible as well, other great men of God in the Bible. For example, do you remember Gideon? You can read his story if you're interested, Judges chapter 6 through 8. But God shows up to Gideon during this time when the people of Israel are being oppressed by the Midianites. And God shows up and he speaks to Gideon and he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like looking over his shoulder like, Is there somebody else in here? I mean, I don't think you're talking to me. You know why? You know what Gideon was doing when God showed up and called him a mighty man of valor? He was hiding in a pit. He's not acting like a brave, valiant man of God. No, not at all. He's not acting courageously, valiantly. And on top of that, not only was he acting in a cowardly way, but he was bitter of soul. You know what he did? When God shows up and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. First he says, are you sure you've got the right guy? you got the wrong address? But then he says this. He's bitter in soul. Look at his response to God. He says, well, God, if you're really with us, then why don't you ever help us? 
God, if you're really with us, then why did you let our lives get in such a mess around here? Why don't you ever do anything to bail us out? You see, at the time that God called Gideon, he wasn't valiant. He wasn't courageous. He didn't have a mighty heart for God. He was discontent. He was bitter of soul. But God looked at him and called him a mighty man of valor because God knew what Gideon could become. God knows that men and women of God aren't just born. They have to be made. And a heart for God is something that has to be cultivated. It has to be developed. And the same is true for you and I. David had come to the cave of Adullam completely despondent, completely depressed, uh, discouraged. He comes alone. But look at this now. This cave has become, for David, the best place in the world. David's sitting around the campfire each night with these men. He's teaching them the ways of the Lord. He's sharing his heart for God with these men. And he's making them into men of God. God is making David into a man of God. And David is making these men into men of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that how it should be? That as God is changing you and shaping you, that you can be passing on all those things that you're receiving from the Lord and helping other people to grow as well? You know, when we first read in that first verse there that David came to the cave of Adullam, well, it kind of seemed like this is a, a new low, right? This is a new low point in David's life. Living in a cave, I mean, how much worse does it get? But in reality, this has become a high point in David's life. David's time spent in the cave of Adullam ends up becoming one of the best periods of his life. He didn't expect that to happen, did he? When he arrived at the cave, he sat down in the dark all by himself. He would have never expected that one day he would look back on this time of his life and think, you know what? That was one of the best periods of my whole life. Because God met David in this cave and God blessed David in this cave. And even though the circumstances were uncomfortable, this ended up being one of the best times of David's life when David was closest to the Lord. You know what's interesting? That the time of David's life that ends up being the true low point... You know when that is? Well, that's when he's living in the palace. That's when he's in comfort. When he's got it all, right? He's being waited on. He's reigning as king. He's arrived. He's no longer even fighting his own battles. He's got people who take care of that kind of stuff for him. He can just basically kick back and take it easy. That sounds like that should be the high point, right? Isn't that the goal to get to that point? But in that place of comfort, David falls into temptation. He commits adultery. Then he commits murder to cover up his tracks. This ends up being the time of his life later on when, when he's farthest from the Lord, when he ends up being the most unhappy. And isn't that interesting? That living in a cave, even though it was maybe the most uncomfortable period of his life, it ends up being one of the high points of his life. When he's closest to God, most happy. Living in that palace, though, in that comfort, ends up being the low point of David's life when he's furthest from the Lord when he ends up being the most unhappy. Now, it's not what we would generally expect, is it? But so often, that's how it is. And I wonder if there's any of you here today who find yourself in a difficult place, in a time of struggle. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy, but I want you to know this, that it is possible for those times to become some of the richest, most blessed periods of your life. If you will turn to the Lord, if you will surround yourself with godly people, because comfort and ease do not always equate to happiness. They don't always equate to richness of life. You need to seek the Lord, because in Him, even living in a cave, 
can become the high point of your life. Verse 3. We're, we're only going to verse 5, just FYI. Uh, but <laughs> David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And they left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all that time that David was in the stronghold. Okay, here's what's happening. David's living in this cave. And he says, you know what? My mom and my dad have come out here and I appreciate it and I love them. But you know what? This is no place for my parents to be living. This is no, they're not cut out for this kind of living. This is like camping without any camping gear, right? This is rough. And there's these 400 men living there who are rough around the edges. And so David says, you know what? This is no condition for my parents to be living in. They're not cut out for living in a cave. I need to find a place of refuge that I can take my parents to where they can live. You know, rather than being consumed with his own problems, David here, we see that he's consumed with taking care of others. That says a lot about his heart. So David takes his parents to the Moabites. Now, why would he take them to the Moabites? Well, if you remember, David's family, he has part of his family that are Moabites. You remember David's grand, his great-grandmother, was a very famous woman in the Bible. Her name was Ruth, and she was from the land of Moab. So David's father, Jesse, that's his grandmother, Ruth. And so David takes his parents to the land of Moab, and he speaks with the king of Moab and says, hey, could you take care of my parents? I'm living in a cave. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. Could you just take care of my parents and give them safekeeping for a little while? And the king does it. And notice, I want you to notice this. In verse 3, uh, the cave is now referred to as what? It's referred to as a stronghold. That's what it's become. It's no longer just a cave. It's no longer just a hole where David sleeps. No, this is a stronghold. David has begun to see that cave in a different light. It's no longer a place to hide. It's a stronghold. But I also want you to see what David says at the end of verse 3. He says, he says to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. David had no idea. He had no idea what God was up to in his life. He had no idea what God's plan was with all this stuff that's going on with these 400 dudes who come out to him. He's living in a cave. He says, I don't know what, what God's doing, but I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord even though I don't know what's going to happen. And doesn't that comfort you? That David, his future was uncertain, but yet he loved the Lord and he followed the Lord and he obeyed the Lord. Let me tell you this, you and me, we've got to come to a place in our lives like David did where even when we don't know what's going on, we have no idea what God is doing in our lives, where God's going to bring all this, how things are going to work out, that you still serve him and love him and obey him. David had no idea what God's plan was. He says, I'm just going to continue obeying God and trusting God. God knows what he's doing and he's going to lead me at the right time in the right way. I'm just trusting in that, even though I don't know what's going to come next. Verse 5, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Here's David at the cave of Adullam, this stronghold with these 400 men. And they are having a great time, actually. They're having a wonderful time. You know, you imagine it, 400 guys. I can think about it. It sounds Sounds kind of nice. Camping, 
fellowship, fun, campfires, sharing your hearts and your lives together day in and day out, building each other up. And what they're doing, right, they're becoming men of God together. David's probably thinking, you know what? This isn't all that bad. I could stay here in this stronghold and I'll just wait Saul out. I mean, one of these days he's going to die, right? We'll just wait until Saul dies and then the Lord will raise me up as king. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me this stronghold, this place of refuge that I can just be at peace here. And the prophet Gad shows up and says, David, the Lord has spoken. You've got to leave the stronghold. You've got to move out of here. And David's like, what? Why? Well, I like it here. I don't want to leave this place. And the prophet says, yes, David, you have to leave. You have to go to the land of Judah. What? The land of Judah? That's Saul's backyard. Why in the world would I ever go there? See, God is going to show David what he has for him there. We'll see that in next week and the week after. But, but there's an important principle that this teaches us, and this is that, that, that David has to learn to trust God in the midst of the danger, not away from the danger. David has to learn to trust God in the midst of the danger, not away from the danger. He says, you've got to get out of the stronghold, David. You've got to go out into the midst of the battle. I've got work for you to do there. But Lord, I like it in the stronghold. I'm safe here. But David, I've got to get you out of there. I've got to push you a little further in order to make you into the man of God that I want you to become. Men and women of God aren't born, they're made. Anyone who will answer that call to come, no matter where you're at today, no matter where you've been coming into today, even if your life's a mess, if you will come and you will make Jesus Christ captain of your life, he will give you a new life. He will give you a new identity and a new future. That is the gospel and the invitation to come to him just as you are. That invitation is open to you today. It's an invitation that must be answered and responded to over and over again. It's an invitation to come, let me be your captain, and let me encourage you today to respond to that call. Will you do that? Will you respond to that call today? Respond to the call of Jesus Christ to come and make him your captain and let him make you into a man or a woman of God and he will do marvelous things in your life and through your life. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this glorious promise of the gospel. We thank you that we can see the glorious work that you did in these men and in other men. Lord, your own disciples. Lord, we want to be those kind of people. Lord, when you stand with open arms and say, come, anyone who will come, come to me. Make me captain over your life. I will give you a new identity and a new future. Lord, may we be those who respond to you today. Lord, I believe that there's someone here today even who needs to respond to that call. You have them here today because you want them to hear this. Lord, you are calling them to yourself. You're saying, come. Wherever you've been, whatever has happened, Lord, you're saying to that person, those people even, come to me today. Lord, I pray that they would respond to that call. I pray that all of us would respond to that call, that we would make you captain of our lives, and that we would get to see you do glorious things in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the cross that makes all of this possible. Thank you for your great love for us. And we honor you now in Jesus' name. Amen.